We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Monte. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Monte. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and Lord willing, today we're going to cover verses 1 through 10. It's about like the ups and downs of life, you know, the secret of being strong as a Christian. Have you guys ever heard that phrase, the ups and downs of life? I'm sure you have. The ups are those things that are seen as good. The downs are those things that we interpret to be bad. And, you know, when you think about the ups and downs, I think if we could generate our own topography, if we could kind of write our own script in life, uh, we would fill our lives with only ups. Huh. I think that's kind of the way that we would do it. I mean, if we were living in a perfect world, I mean, the truth is the Dodgers would win the World Series every year, right? The Lakers would do more than three-peat. I know that, right? I mean, there would be no traffic. Imagine that. There would be no troubles, no sickness, no suffering. It would be, I'm sorry to be corny, but it would be like the Lego movie. I don't know if you guys ever saw the, the Lego movie. You guys remember that song? Everything is awesome. So, you know, that's kind of how we would write our own script, right? I mean, it'd just be perfect life, right? And, you know, but the truth is, the reality is, we need more than just the ups of life. And we have to come to accept that. It's kind of like a kid after Halloween with any parental love or supervision. You know, imagine getting, gathering all that candy and then. You know, the next day, starting a diet consisting only of sweets and candies and gum and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you guys know it's not good for them for many reasons. Bad for their teeth, their bodies, and not to mention the fact that they'll be bouncing off the walls, right, if they have only candy, right? I remember when uh, my daughter was three years old, when she was first introduced to Cinnabons. Um, very sweet. She didn't used to eat sweets, and so late at night, we made the mistake of giving her sweets and man she stayed up late man you know put her to bed she got out of bed she you know we found her I don't know what time my wife found her early in the wee hours of the morning she was passed out of there with all her toys all around her man and, you know that that's what would happen we would eat all candy we would want all good we would generate only ups of life and we would be superficial people you know we want the ups of life, but you guys, I pray that as mature Christians, we would eventually come to the place that we would also want, you know, the other things, the, the downs of life, because we need both in order to be strong, in order to be usable in God's hands, in order to be balanced believers, you know. Some sweets are okay, we need sugar in different forms, right, but we also need the greens and we need the proteins of life, and so... You know, the cool thing about the Lord is that He has a way of blending together the ingredients we experience. You know, the glorious victories combined with the tough and sometimes terrible tragedies. He has a way of blending it together for our own good and also for the good of others. And most importantly, at the end of the day, for His own glory. And so we're going to see that in today's study. As Paul talks about, you know, the visions and the valleys... As he talks about, you know, message in heaven that he experienced as well as a messenger from hell that came into his life. He's going to talk about the ups and downs and how we need them both. And we're going to see you guys. I don't know about you. How many of you here, you want to be strong? 
You know, you want to be strong. Well, this is the secret to the supernatural strength. Look what he says in verse 1. He says, it is, it is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Now, if you remember, we've been picking this up in the context of Paul boasting about the ministry because he was forced to, in order to protect the people. The uh, Judaizers had come in, false prophets had come in, and they were trying to turn the people back to Judaism, to put them into the bondage of legalism, to turn them against Paul, who was the messenger of Christ, because ultimately what the devil wants to do is to turn you away from Christ. And so he was kind of forced to boast. But it was kind of cool the way that he boasted is he boasted in the sovereignty of God and in the weakness of men. You know, and as far as, like, hey, we got the credentials of being an apostle, he said, well, here's my credentials. I, I suffer and I sacrifice a lot. But he does go on to share some things about himself, but he does it in such a, a, a tactful way, such a, a way. He even speaks, we're going to see later in the third person, he does it in such a humble way, but in a clear way. He was you know, trying to communicate to the congregation that he really was called of God. And so he's going down the list of credentials, uh, and now he gets to the place of visions, visions, okay? More than dreams. I mean, some of us here, we have dreams, and you wake up in the morning, you're like, man, was that the Lord? Or did I have too many tacos? You know, I mean, we have dreams. I talk to people all the time, and they're like, man, was that from the Lord? I don't know. You know, you take your dreams. Some of my dreams, I can honestly say, I can, I, I can honestly say, that was the Lord. I can honestly say some of my dreams, and I still, I wrote them down because I don't know about you, but right after I have a dream, I forget it if I don't write it down. So if it's of the Lord, I'll write it down. If it's not, you know, it doesn't. It could be, oh, there's a devil. It could be the flesh. It could be too many tacos. So that, don't worry too much about it. But imagine having visions, okay? This is beyond uh, a dream. You know, to have Jesus come here and, like, to, to be here, like, physically is, is, is one thing. Dreams are over here. Visions are somewhere in between, so imagine having a vision, a vision of the Lord. I would love to, to be honest with you. I think that would be amazing to be able to see like a vision, you know. I think, I think of Star Wars. I don't know if you guys have ever seen Star Wars, but what do they call it? Holograph? Holograph, where you're like, you know, right there. You know, imagine that. Wow. Seeing the Lord or seeing an angel or seeing, we're going to see the different visions that Paul had. When he first got saved in Acts chapter 9, there was a, a vision of Christ. And I don't know, maybe that was more. He appeared to him brighter than the sun on, on noonday. Jesus appeared to him in a vision. So when Paul was done with that in Acts chapter 9, he got blinded by the light. And then he was there praying and fasting. And then he had a vision, it says, of a man named Ananias coming and laying hands on him. So here's a guy. I don't know about you. How, how many visions have you had? I, I have never had a vision. Maybe you have. Um, it's biblical. Paul had a vision of Jesus. Paul had a vision of man named Ananias coming and laying hands on him so that he could be restored of his sight. You know, when you follow Paul's ministry, um, later on, when they were in their second missionary journey, uh, they were trying to go north, trying to go south. The Holy Spirit said no. They came to Troas, and they were like, Lord, what do we do? What do we do? We want to serve you. And then there was a vision, he says, of a man from, from Macedonia. He saw a man 
saying, come and help us. And then they concluded it was the Lord. God led them, and God's planted the church in Philippi. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, how does God lead you? Oh, he, he gives me visions. Wow, that's pretty cool. You know, you see these things later on when he was in Corinth. And he didn't, I must have been struggling a little bit. You know, the Bible says that the Lord appeared to him in a vision in chapter 18, verse 9 of the book of Acts. And he encouraged, he strengthened him. He said, don't be afraid. I have many people in this city and you're not, you're not going to be hurt. And so, you know, right here when Paul is giving his credentials, by the way, let me put like a little asterisk right here. I have had visions, many visions, not just visions, though. He says right here in verse 1, revelations. And so not only did he have the visions, that right there is pretty amazing. He also had revelations. And this is you know, where Paul actually received fresh truth, apostolic truth from God. See, we don't have that anymore. We have the Bible. It's the apostolic truth. But to receive you know, truth, doctrine from the Lord, that was Paul. You know, in the book of Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 3, he's talking about how that by revelation, Jesus made known to him the mystery. In that case, it was the Gentiles and the Jews coming together and being saved by faith and there being one church. And so, you know, they had this doctrine. How did Paul receive his revelation? You know, we normally receive it through man. But Paul received it directly from Jesus. You read that in Galatians chapter 1, verse 12. He says, For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, he just had a lot really to boast about. And he had visions, he had revelations. And so uh, he says in verse 2, it even gets better. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago Whether in the body, I do not know, or whether out of the body, I do not know, God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. How he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. That He does it in such a, I don't know, it's almost a confusing way. He goes out of his way to try to present this amazing experience that he had with utter humility. I mean, just... He tries so hard. Uh, some people will say that he, he, this is the first time he's ever talked about it. And we don't know for sure. Warren Wiersbe said that. This is the first time he ever talked about it. He, for 14 years, he never said anything about this experience. How Paul is speaking now in the third person, but he's speaking about himself at the same time. He said that he was caught up to the third heaven. Now, the first heaven is the atmosphere, you know, where the clouds are and the birds fly. And you guys ever been in the third heaven? You got in an airplane? You know, I've uh, talked to some people. They've actually jumped out of a, uh, an airplane and with a parachute. That's called. That would be cool, huh? That would be cool, you know? Uh, we've even had the, op- the, the blessing of going beyond the first heaven to the second heaven. 
Uh, we got guys that have walked on the moon. Think about that, right? That's pretty amazing. Uh, and it's amazing even now the technology that we have, uh, the science to be able to send out these, uh, man, these cameras to go and, and look at Pluto. I mean, just it's amazing, right? So man has traveled pretty far. But imagine going to the third heaven. Now, the third heaven is where God lives, right? It's beyond the the 100,000 light years of the Milky Way galaxy and the 100 billion galaxies beyond that, going beyond that to where, where God lives. And Paul says right here, I know, man. I'm not sure if it was an in-the-body experience or out-of-the-body experience. He keeps saying that over and over. I don't, I don't know that. But I know this, that I was caught up. I was caught up into paradise. You know, that's heaven. The third heaven is where God lives. You know, it's interesting, the word translated paradise here, it actually comes to us from a Persian background, and it speaks of a walled garden where the king would only allow his most intimate friends to be. You know, I don't know if you recently saw Cinderella, the movie that just came out, but, you know, there was a a garden, if I'm not mistaken, that the prince had never shown anyone until, you know, Cinderella came. She was kind of special, right? The Lord is kind of saying that that's, that's how heaven is. It's like this walled garden that only my most intimate friends are able to be a part of. And you go in there and you walk and you talk and you fellowship. It kind of reminds me of the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3. Paul says, I know a man in the body, out of the body. I'm not sure, but I, he was caught up. The, the same word that we have for rapture, harpasso, he was caught up. He was raptured up to the third heaven. Imagine that. Imagine if that was you. Imagine if you were the one that was caught up into heaven. What, what would you do with that? How many of you here, if you were caught up to the third heaven, would write a book? How many of you here, come on. You're like, I could use a little extra money. <laughs> right? I mean, we would, man, we'd make a movie. We'd make some money. We'd speak at every Christian church around the world. I mean, if you were caught up to the third heaven, you could fill your calendar with speaking engagements for the, the rest of your life. And, and, you know, um, and even more significantly than that, what would happen is if I found out you were caught up to the third heaven, you went to heaven, then there's no way around the fact that people would see you differently. There's no way around it. I mean, they would elevate you. They would esteem you. They would say, man, you are like the most amazing person on planet earth because you were caught up into heaven, right? And, and that's ex- exactly what happened to Paul. I mean, in having experienced that, there would be this crazy temptation to elevate yourself. And the interesting thing about this is more than likely this is more along Paul's own experience about elevating himself. It's more about that, right, to lift yourself up. I mean, if I had seen vision after vision after vision, God's appearing to me, God, you know, angels are appearing to me, Jesus is appearing to me, God's guiding me through visions and not you. If I had gone to heaven, you know, and imagine, we don't even know what heaven's like, but imagine seeing heaven, hearing things that you couldn't, it was unlawful for you to repeat. Imagine if you had experienced that, you know, what would you be like in coming back? I mean, you would definitely be tempted to be prideful. I mean, for us here, I mean, we would probably be prideful if we hung out with Greg Laurie. 
You, you know Greg Laurie? Yeah, I, I do. I'm his friend. Yeah, he took me into his garden. I saw his tomatoes, you know, whatever it might be. He's got real big, you know, zucchini. I mean, you know, you, you, just, you would just have that temptation to be prideful about it. And although, you know, you would do it in a humble way, eventually, inevitably, you would weave that truth into every conversation that you have with, you know, your Christians sooner or later, right? I know Greg Laurie. I know Lecrae, you know? He's cool. I love the way he raps, or whatever it might be. You know, we just have that temptation, right? Uh, I was over at Billy Graham's house the other day. <gasps> you were? Yeah, he's, he's pretty cool, you know. He likes me. <laughs> I mean, we just have that temptation, right? And so we would be tempted to be prideful. That's just the bottom line. And I think that it would almost be like something that in, it would almost be like we couldn't not fall. I mean, it would almost be beyond us as far as a temptation goes, right? And so uh, what ends up happening is that Paul experienced all this. What happens in verse 7, he says, And, and so... <laughs> Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. And concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. And this might be good for you to just really, you know, take note of or write down, you know, take pleasure in, in these things. In infirmities, that's when you know you're sick or weak. In, in reproaches, that's when people revile you or they say bad things about you. In needs, I think you know what that means. In, in persecutions, that could be, you know, physical or, or spiritual. In distresses, think about that. And those are overwhelming circumstances. He says, I take pleasure in those things for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And I want to be strong. You know, some things that happen to us in life, we have no power over them. We can't stop them from happening to us. You can't stop yourself from, you know, I was talking to Olivia the other day. I was, she was there in the hospital, and, you know, she's got her head shaved right here, and she's got a scar right there, and, and she's just, you know, so weak sitting there on the hospital bed. And I was just talking to her yesterday. I said, you know, you know, um, what God's doing through you right now, you, I mean, this is not something that you had any volitional control over, but what God's doing through you right now on that hospital bed is stronger than what he does oftentimes through us walking around. And I, and I told her not only that, but now as you rise and you heal, you will be stronger than you've ever been. Why? Because you went through that. And so, you know, we don't want that. I don't want my brain to bleed. We don't want that. But then when we get older in the Lord and mature, we take pleasure in these things. Because we realize that when I'm weak, then he's strong. God's strength is made perfect in weakness. Some things we don't have control over. 
Things happen to us. People say things about us. Whatever the case may be, we don't have control over that. Other things we kind of do. You know, I want to encourage you to be careful, um, you know, to have the heart or the mentality that says, I'm good. I'm good, Manny. I'm, I'm, I'm a good teacher. You're a good teacher? Don't tell me that. I know, you know, I wouldn't even, don't ever think that. I, I'm not a good teacher. I know that about me, but I know this is a good word. I know God's doing a good work, and I know we have a good God. I'm not a good teacher. And I'm not a good man. I know who I am. You don't know who I am. You see me from the pulpit. I sin every once in a while. I, I really do. <laughs> I just got to be straight out with you because if I come up here and tell you that I'm a perfect guy, what's that going to do? Number one, it's a lie. Number two, it's going to make you stumble because when you fall short, they then, the enemy comes in and he condemns you and he says, well, then God can't use your life. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying that you know, we should sin and just, it's no thing, but I'm just saying there are no good men. And, and if there's ever anything good about us or what we do, it's the Lord. Because if you go into it, if I go into it, I'm a good teacher, I'm a good preacher, I'm a good whatever it is, musician, whatever it is, you know, it's like, wow, I got, I'm good at it, then you're, you're going you're gonna to lessen the work that God wants to do through you. We can draw a big crowd. But in that big crowd, is there a supernatural work going on in the hearts of people? See, when it's the Lord working through weak men who have no confidence in their eloquence or preaching or teaching or gifts that they have, Paul says, when I went to Corinth, I determined not to know anything except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so, you know, Paul, he just says, when I go through these things... This is what I've learned, that, that when, I'm, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. You know, he talks about the, what happened to him in verse 7, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to, to buffet me. You know, we don't know all the details on this. Uh, to me, it, it seems both physical and, and, and spiritual, and I've seen that throughout my life as a Christian, uh, not only with myself but with other people, that sometimes the physical calamity, it is the enemy, and I've seen that at times. Uh, last week, I went to go speak at a church, and the pastor was sick, and the worship leader was sick, and I saw, just by the Lord, the Lord showed me this is the enemy. Sometimes you just know it's the enemy when the physical things happen. But regardless of it, whether or not it's the enemy who initiates it, he will definitely capitalize on it. When we get sick, when we go through hard times, when we get discouraged, the devil comes in loud and lying. And so, you know, when, the, when you think of the thorn, I think it's a combination of both, you know. I think it's about the physical things that happen to us as well as the spiritual things, you know. Um, we know this, that it was a constant maltreatment in the Greek language. It ranges from trouble to torment, pains and plagues. It was a problem that Paul experienced constantly. You know, there's different uh, theories on what it is. What's this thorn in the flesh? Don't say it was your spouse. Okay, don't say that. Some of it's my spouse. <laughs> Some people actually say that. There was one commentary that said that obviously he didn't have a good marriage, right? 
But, you know, the, some say it was a disfigurement that after having been, you know, beat up and stoned and gone through so much, um, especially when we think about Paul, who, who, this is 14 years ago, more than likely that was what happened during his first missionary journey when they stoned him to death. They thought he was dead. And then you guys remember he came back. So a lot of people think that that's when that happened, when he was caught up to the third heaven. And so coming back from that, he probably was pretty messed up, you know. I mean, we see today sometimes pictures of people who have been burned or beaten or just things that have happened to them. So there are some who say Paul was now the thorn in the flesh, was that he wasn't pretty boy anymore, that he was uh, disfigured. Um, others believe it was epilepsy. And it's interesting, when you studied epilepsy in the ancient history, um, they attributed it to demons. And the thing about epilepsy, we know that the sufferer can go about his business and minister, but then uh, periodically they suffer the seizures, right? It's interesting, in uh, Paul's letters, in Galatians 4, verse 14, Paul says that when the Galatians saw him, his infirmity did not reject him. Because what they would do when they saw someone who had epilepsy is they would uh, spit. They would spit to ward off the demons. And so when Paul had his seizure, they, it says in Galatians 4.14, literally in the Greek, they didn't spit. And so some say that he had epilepsy, and it might fit. I think that's a valid option. Uh, others say that he had uh, headaches. Uh, Tertullian and Jerome, they were early church fathers that thought that. But by far, the, the, the most likely thing is that Paul had suffered from recurrent attacks of malaria. And when you study this whole area of the eastern Mediterranean, it's interesting, the natives of the country, when they wished to harm someone, they prayed to their gods that he should be burned up with this malaria fever. And they said that this malaria, which would be in and out of one's life, was like a red-hot bar thrust through the temple. And so, you know, it's possible um, that that's what happened. Some say it was uh, his eyes, that his eyes had been damaged when Jesus appeared to him on the road and made him blind. And they give reasons for that. For example, Paul saying, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. Or in the letter to the Galatians towards the end, he says, see what big letters I, I write. And so, um, but here's the thing. Okay, we don't know. And I think God was uh, very specific in not allowing us to know what it is. Because what ends up happening is now we can all identify. Huh? And maybe one of those hit home with you. We're like, you're like, wow, I can identify with that. What? But the bottom line is, whatever the suffering it is, whatever the down is in our life as disciples of Christ, God can use that like he did in the life of Paul to keep him humble. You know, some of you here, you're like, man, I wish I had more money, right? And so you buy a lottery ticket every once in a while, and then the Holy Spirit convicts you and says, don't do that. Um... You know, maybe you're living paycheck to paycheck. And you're like, Lord, if you would just allow me to win the lottery, I would serve you. Like, greater, I would give to the church and all this kind of stuff. And let me just tell you something, man. You think that, that God's not rich? Do you think that God can't make you rich in a split second? 
I tell you what, for 99% of the people, if they got rich, they fall away. It's better sometimes to live paycheck to paycheck, right? So I don't know. I'm just saying, a lot of times we think that if you take this away, if you heal me of that, if I didn't have that pain or what this person would change, whatever the case, we think then, you know, that we would be better off. When in all reality, God is saying, if I did that, you'd be worse. And so Paul here, in going through this, this thorn in the flesh, an extreme pain. I mean, the word thorn right there, that, that's not just like, oh, you know, he got a little thorn right there and, you know, trimming the rose bush or something. No, this is, uh, this is where they would impale someone on. I know that's an awful thought to think, but imagine a stick sticking up out of the ground, taking you and boom, putting you on it. That's, ugh. Paul needed that, though. We need these things, you guys. And so there we are. It's not just a physical thing, and it's, it's accompanied by a messenger of Satan. What? Yeah. You know, and the interesting thing, look, he says, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. Given? From who? God. Kind of. God doesn't author things, but God allows things. It's given, in one sense, in a roundabout sense, by God. And I don't say that to make God look bad. I say that so that you would trust Him. What gifts do you have? On Thursday, we were talking about the gifts of the Spirit. How about this type of gift? You know, I have a messenger of Satan. I have a thorn in the flesh. It's a gift from God. See, we got to see it for what it is. And, you know, there they are. They're, the word buffet means to beat and torment. And so what do you do? Well, in situations like that, you pray. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times and it might depart from me. You know, and for us, how many of you here would say, I, I prayed 3,000 times? How many of you here would say that? I have prayed over and over and over and over again with tears on my face, on my knees, before God had been praying, Lord, please take it away. That's where Paul was. When he says three times, he's talking about a complete you know, request, like Jesus when he prayed three times in the garden, right? Lord, if it's your will, there's any other way that this cup pass from me, right? He prayed that it would depart, and this is what the Lord said. He said, no. Did God answer his prayer? Yeah. God doesn't always give us what we want, right? Some people think God's like this big vending machine. Hmm, let me get one. I want one of those, right? In Jesus' name, right? No. How many of you here, how many, if you just, you know, more, more than likely, you know, if you're, if you're a good parent, you know, usually, do you have to say yes to your kids or no to your kids more? more mostly No. Right? Unless you're, you know, you're one of those new age parents or something, you know. But, um, you know, usually it's no, right? Because they don't know. They don't know what they need. They don't. You do. God is the same way with us. A lot of times he'll have to say no. But the beautiful thing is he says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. For what? For what? 
And I was thinking about this. For what? I think the context here is ministry. I think it is God wants to use your life. God wants to use your life. And so, you know, Lord, take it away. Make this better. Change this situation. God says, no, my grace is sufficient. I will use your life. And I will use that calamity so that you will remain usable. My grace is sufficient. None of us will ever be able to minister on our own goodness, right? And sometimes we have good days. Sometimes we have bad days. Sometimes things happen and it's just, it's just love it, you know, when things are all going perfect. But most of the time they're not. And God says, I will use you in, in my grace. My grace is sufficient, you know. And you get tired sometimes and we go through things. I was thinking about John Wesley. I don't know if you guys have ever studied his ministry. But this guy, he preached 42,000 sermons. Think about that. He averaged 4,500 miles a year. This is before automobiles, right? He rode his horse. He would ride his horse 60 to 70 miles every single day. Think about that. He preached three sermons every day. And when he was 83 years old, think about that, 83 years old, he wrote in his journal, and he said to himself, I'm never tired from preaching or writing or traveling he says, this is God's sufficient grace. See? Lord, take it away. Lord, change the situation. And God just says, no, my, my grace is sufficient. God's grace over your life. Let me tell you a little bit about it. You're loved. You're loved and you will never, ever, ever be stopped. God will never stop loving you. You are forgiven. You are forgiven in Christ. All the sins you've ever done, past, present, future. When God looks at you, you're perfect. You're white as snow. You're his son. You're his daughter. I cannot tell you how amazing that grace is. It's God's reward at Christ's expense. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. It's, it's unmerited favor. It doesn't matter, you know, you think, well, I lived a really good day today and I didn't get, you know, mad or this nothing, I didn't sin. And, and, and then you go up and you think, well, so I can minister now because I'm worthy. Well, now you're not worthy. You got to come to grips with the fact that it's not your goodness. It's God's grace over our life. See, the grace of God that we have. And, you know, I was talking to a young man yesterday, and he was telling me about how when he was growing up, he didn't know his dad. He didn't know his dad. And so, eventually, he met him, you know, when he was a young teenager. But he, when he went to live with him, his dad kicked him out. He just said, I don't want you. He took him back to his mom's house. And as I was talking to this guy, you know, I was just, my heart just went out to him. I just, I could tell, even though God was working in him, that, that God, that, that, that was kind of impeding his relationship with God. Because he was taking his relationship with his father, and he was thinking, well, that's how God is. And I was just trying my hardest to tell him, God would never do that to you. You know, God chooses whom he uses. 
And God will put us in places for the body of Christ to serve them and we'll never be worthy. Never. And, 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 and God will never turn us away. Do you guys realize this? Sometimes my wife tells me this or I'll tell her that. You know, because we love each other. We're married. We're committed until death do us part. And even though there's no marriage in heaven, we're still going to be best friends when we go to heaven other than Jesus, right? But I just tell her, hey, you're stuck with me. You're stuck with me. And in one sense, I could say that to you about God, that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Never. That's how awesome God's it. My grace, the Lord says, it is sufficient. And so as you go through the hard times, I, I just pray that you would just have a good grip on grace. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he says, be strong in the Lord, right? And be strong in the Lord and the power of his grace. That's what we have to. He says, you, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What do you mean be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus? Yeah, be strong. Choose to accept it. Choose to believe in it. Right? I know it's hard because we live in such a performance-oriented world. Right? It's so difficult. But it's not like that with the Lord. It, it really isn't. And so he, he just says right here, so here's, the, here's how I'm going to end it up, man. Most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. Because at the end of the day, I know the truth is this, that when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, we don't like to be weak, right? We don't like, you know, to in any way, shape or form, suffer or go through these calamities and tragedies and things of life. But when you realize that accompanied with that is the strength of Almighty God, the omnipotent power, then, you know, it's then that you're blessed. How many of you guys here, um, you know what I'm talking about when I say this. I say, I just, I hate to see, you know, like my wife cry. My children cry. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's like, you know, normally that doesn't happen. I mean, my wife, she's not like me. I cry at all the movies I see. She's just like, it's a matter of time. I mean, she's looking at him. I'm falling apart watching the Disney movie, right? And she doesn't. She doesn't. I'm like, what's up with that? Yeah? Did, I'll even ask her after a movie, did you cry? No. But every once in a while, something happens. You know, you just get hurt. Or just, you know, I remember when her parents passed. And you see, you know, you see the tears fall. You see the pain, the crying. You know, and when I see that, I'll be honest with you, it's hard for me as her husband. But I just, I know, as I, as I, as I to kind of step back for a second and I see what God is doing, I know. You know what, Lord? Those tears mean you're doing something good 
And so together, what do we do? We seek the Lord. You know, and I want to encourage you guys in that. If you've maybe been crying, and maybe the tears have flowed, or maybe you're one of those that, that doesn't cry, but you still hurt, you know what I'm talking about. I want to encourage you to know that God is doing a great work. You know, keep your eyes on Him. As you go through the infirmities, as you go through all these things, the difference is that you have your eyes on the Lord through the whole thing. And as you do, watch. Just like Paul, God will use your life in an amazing way. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.